Before we get started, I want to invite you to support the Business of Politics show by becoming a member of the Startup Caucus Network. For just $10 a month, you'll become a part of our community that's changing the culture of Republican campaigning through innovation. Visit businessofpoliticspodcast.com slash join to learn more. Let your great object be victory, not lengthy campaigns, which today is work smarter, not harder. I'm Eric Wilson, managing partner of Startup Caucus, the home of campaign tech innovation on the right. Welcome to the Business of Politics show. On this podcast, you're joining in on a conversation with entrepreneurs, operatives, and experts who make professional politics happen. We're joined today by Caitlin Huxley, a campaign strategist, certified project manager, and history buff with a passion for empowering new candidates to overcome challenges and achieve success in their campaigns. She's also an author, and her new book is Ancient Wisdom for Modern Campaigns, Lessons from Sun Tzu's Art of War. In our show today, we dig into why this text is still relevant thousands of years after being written, what campaigners can take away from Sun Tzu's most famous sayings, and where strategy and tactics meet on the campaign trail. Caitlin, our listeners will likely be familiar with the name Sun Tzu and the art of war, but but give us a brief history lesson of who he was, when he was writing, and, and why he wrote this text. So Sun Tzu was a Chinese general and military strategist who lived around 500 BC. For reference, that's around the start of the Roman Republic, so a real long time ago. Uh, he wrote his treatise, The Art of War, and it's full of best practices for military strategists. It's a major influence among Chinese military, political, and business leaders for millennia. And because it's full of generic, general strategic advice, it has a lot of wide applications. And since being translated into English back in 1905, been adapted to business, marketing, management, and and even sports, Uh, but it was quite absent from politics. And so he he was writing in the 5th century BC. Did he write this text for someone? What prompted him to write this? You know, it's it's really hard to tell, and historians differ, uh, even on whether or not it was a single person or a compilation of different writers or one person whose family and descendants then edited the book and and put it out. But throughout, he mentions and addresses the sovereign or uh, the general. So So I infer that it was a lot like, you know, Machiavelli's The Prince, uh, was given to to the Borgias. Uh, this was to the the King of Wu. Right, and so fifth century BC. Obviously, things are a lot different now, even different than 1905 when it got translated into English. Why should campaigners specifically study Sun Tzu today? Yeah, well, it's notable because it's really one of the first recorded documents on strategy in, in history, and. Given the, the time frame that this was written, some of the advice is, is really surprising, as you might imagine. Uh, when I read it the first time, I really expected advice on outdated military tactics, uh, you know, the right way to, to hold a spear. But what makes Sun Tzu's work here special is his emphasis on the psychological aspect of warfare and strategy. 
you know, the importance of knowing yourself and, and knowing your enemy and the possibility of achieving victory without fighting through diplomacy or intelligence. You know, he says, uh, let your great object be victory and not lengthy campaigns, which today is, is basically work smarter, not harder. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, I think it's really a reminder that your campaign is a means to an end. And you, you shouldn't just be running just to run. Instead, you are trying to get elected. Uh, you're trying to build up the party infrastructure or raise awareness for, for some issue. And because of the uh, general nature of the advice Sun Tzu gives, it's really quite applicable, I think. What I really like about your book is you go through these maxims that he has and break them down with some some lessons for campaigns. So let's let's go through that and you share what the takeaways are for our listeners as they think about their own businesses, their own political campaigns, whatever the case may be. And I want to start with my favorite maxim from Sun Tzu. If you know the enemy and you know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. What should we take away from that? Knowledge is power. And in fact, the rest of that quote is, if you know yourself, but not the enemy, you've gone only halfway to victory, right? At, on the campaign trail, I meet a lot of candidates who feel that they have what it takes to win, but they've overlooked something important, right? Often the fact that their opponent is actually beloved in the district or that the voters are against them two to one, that their opponent has been elected over and over over the past year. And, and sometimes that's, in fact, why they've run. And for our listeners, you know, if you find yourself in this situation, I suggest that you get creative with your goal, right? Not every election is about being elected. Uh, your race might instead focus on raising an awareness, uh, raising awareness for an issue, trying to grow up your local party or build your war chest for next cycle. You know, if you know the situations in your district, if you know the enemy and know yourself, then you need not fear the result because you know it. Yeah, I think that that's a, a really important insight. And I, it, it pops up in my own conversations with candidates all the time where they're passionate about running, they're passionate about their issues. They, they know that they've got what it takes to be an effective elected official. But you can't change the fundamentals of your battleground, as it were, and your enemy's strengths. And I do think that that highlights another um, important aspect of politics as it relates to the art of war that's different than, say, business. Is, is Politics is very clearly a zero-sum game in many of the same ways that warfare is, right? There is a winner and a loser. And I, I think to, to have a really realistic approach to politics is, is that you, you, you know that your, your enemy, your opponent, uh, we should say, has a say in the matter. It's not just what you're doing. And that's one of the reasons why opposition research, for example, is so important to, to politics is because you also have to upset your, your opponent. Exactly. Exactly. So part of what is talked about is um, the advantage, you know, that um, I think it's Klausowitz that, you know, calls the, uh, the campaign, the battle really um, a roll of the dice. Right. So you and your opponent are both struggling to gain the upper hand, take for yourself as many advantages as possible so that when those dice are rolled, when the voters go and, and place their, their votes on election day, 
that you are the one that comes to mind, that you are the one who prevails. Next, I want to go to uh, this, this quotation from Sun Tzu. The general who wins the battle makes many calculations in his temple before the battle is fought. The general who loses makes but few calculations beforehand. That goes to exactly what you were just talking about with Clausewitz is, you know, it is a roll of the die, but maybe you um, can, can load the dice in your favor. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, this, I think, is summed up in, in pretty much one word here is plan. Right. And the more data you incorporate in your plan, the more in depth your plan goes, the, the better your chances are going to be. Right. Or at least the better your chances of being elected. Uh, you know, every year I see candidates who choose their race and kick off their campaign almost willy nilly, you know, no plan. They have a general idea of what they hope to accomplish. But in planning, the devil is in the details. If you don't know how many votes you need to persuade, how much money you're going to need to raise, how many volunteers you need to recruit, the the fact is you're not ready to run. Uh, And the first book in Sun Tzu's manual is all about planning this and uh, and budgeting. And I, I think it starts off where your campaign should with the plan. Everyone wants to dive into the tactics right away of how we're going to do this. But the budget and the plan are the foundations. Absolutely. So the next maxim to dig into says the energy developed by good fighting men is as the momentum of a round stone rolled down a mountain thousands of feet in height. Unpack that for us. It seems very dense. Yeah, he's a a little flowery in his language. Um, And, you know, that's... uh, Obviously, this is written in ancient Chinese and then has been translated through the ages. Um, so who, know, who knows what he originally said? But the, <laughs> the lesson here is that if your team, you know, your staff, your volunteers, your close advisors are well-chosen, well-trained, they can become more than the sum of their parts. But only if you have them working together towards the same goal. Right. Campaigns are comparatively short and intense. Uh, they, they don't feel short to us, but uh, the fact is they last 18 months at, at most. Right. And, you know, your staff and volunteers, especially as you get closer to the election day, they get pushed to their limits. Everyone might be doing what they think is best, but without a clear plan in place and without some central organization you know, people tend to scatter. Uh, Burnout sets into the team, volunteers flake off, and campaigns end up limping across the the finish line on election day. The only way to make your campaign sustainable is if every member of your team can see the direct link between what they're being asked to do and the ultimate success of your campaign on election day. That is the momentum of good fighting men combined like a stone rolling down a mountain. Got it. You're listening to the Business of Politics show. I'm speaking with Caitlin Huxley. She's the author of Ancient Wisdom for Modern Campaigns, Lessons from Sun Tzu's Art of War, uh, available now on Amazon. Uh, You can download it or buy a copy of the paperback with the link in our show notes. Caitlin, let's 
tackle the next one on my list, which is he who can modify his tactics in relation to his opponent and thereby succeed in winning may be called a heaven-born captain. Again, some of this uh, very flowery language, so maybe you can unpack that for us and and what is the the lesson we should take away there as, as modern campaigners? I think it's easy enough to say that things change on campaigns, right? Whether uh, new polling data comes out or uh, a scandal hits at the top of the ticket, if the election math changes, then your plans need to change with it. And the easiest way to profit from one of these new developments in the election is being the first to seize the opportunity. You know, you should be putting your opponents in a situation so that they are forced to react to your moves and not the other way around. In fact, early on in the book, this is calling uh, you the heaven-born captain, but early on in the book, uh, he actually defines uh, a couple things, the moral law, heaven and earth, the commander, etc. And heaven is the, the situation's that exist in your district, right? The, the dynamics of the, the political landscape, uh, the shifting seasons, right? So if you are able to overcome your opponent in adapting to a new development, right? You are said to be truly the master of, again, flower language, but right. interesting. <laughs> So I do think that that is um, a key lesson, and it goes back to to <laughs> the other great philosopher, who is it, Mike Tyson? Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face, but your plan only lasts until you make contact with your opponent. In this case, and being able to adapt and overcome that is obviously a critical skill. In fact, the original quote is uh, "No plan survives first contact with the enemy," said by Helmuth von Moltke the Elder. Okay. <laughs> It's funny how how these these maxims and sayings and proverbs are uh, are, are always updated uh, for our, for our own time, but but have really ancient roots. Exactly. No matter how perfect your strategy is, right? It's going to be need, It's going to need to be adapted. Uh, your opponents are going to make their moves, and because nobody is a, a fully rational actor, you're never going to be able to predict exactly what your opponents will do ahead of time. I think it sums up really well that quote. That's a that's a really good point. A lot of people uh, use the the metaphor sometimes about chess, but I think the the better analogy is poker. Chess is a game of perfect information. You know where your opponent's pieces are. You know all of their available moves. With poker, you don't know what cards they have, what cards might come up next, and you've got to make decisions. And I think one thing that's hard for people to understand is that you can make the right decision with the information that you have, but get to the outcome that you did not desire is what happens. But that doesn't mean you made the wrong decision. Absolutely. Uh, back to the analogy of, of rolling the dice, right? Sometimes it's just a one. Right. Next, next on the list, rapidity is the essence of war. Take advantage of the enemy's unreadiness, make your way by unexpected routes, and attack unguarded spots. Is this yeah. speed kills? Is that the, uh, the, ah. the takeaway here? I think a, a strong example here is, um, you know, it, it underlines the importance of oppo research, like we mentioned, right? A strong example is, is targeting a demographic or picking up an issue that for some reason your opponent has accidentally or not just neglected, 
right? If you discover that your opponent has overlooked some community in the district or or hasn't addressed uh, a pressing issue, and you can step in and seize that advantage before them, right? It leaves them responding to you, right? Conversely, uh, an important thing that I think is really important to mention uh, about all of this is, you know, this advice is 2,500 years old, and it's undoubtedly that your opponent has heard it in some form or another, right? So everything here, it's really easy to fall into the trap of believing that uh, we are the the only one who's uh, developing a strategy. Um, and so, you know, your opponent is doing the same, right? You have to watch out for them trying to catch you off guard. If you're trying to be the, the first mover, beware that they might actually be, right? You You should be aiming in this way to give your opponent as few gaps to exploit within your, your own campaign as possible. All right. Last one on my list is the quotation is move not unless you see an advantage. Use not your troops unless there is something to be gained. Fight not unless the position is critical. What should we take away from this saying? So this comes from the final section of his book. And, and the last two chapters here are on attacking by fire and the use of spies. Uh, I, you know, I translate this into uh, using scandal on a campaign. Um, and of course, spies still exist, right? Well, while some might find these topics a bit distasteful, they are a fact of life of modern campaigns, And whether or not you personally choose to employ these tactics, uh, understanding them is important to defend against them if your opponent chooses to be, uh, let's say, less honorable than you do, right? And these, these tactics are dangerous, right? Just like using fire in an ancient war uh, scandal is just as likely to end up burning you if you're not careful. So I think this is a reminder to make sure that you've weighed all the the benefits and the risks and that the benefits clearly outweigh the chances that you might get bit. Well, Caitlin, I think the the metaphor of campaigns as as war is certainly familiar with us. You know, we even talk about electoral battlegrounds and opponents and and enemies and this this sort of bellicose language. Aside from the the obvious, by which I mean violence, where does this analogy of campaigns as warfare break down and, and not serve us well as, as modern campaigners? Plenty of the quotes from Sun Tzu just right off the bat can't be taken literally. Uh, you know, he says, in order to kill the enemy, our men must be roused to anger. Obviously inapplicable here, I, I hope. Another one I've had pushback from folks on is instituting a system of gongs and drums, banners and flags. You know, but I think most of these make a useful metaphor, right? Volunteers will work harder and longer if they think their way of life is under attack and having a strong system of communication while the team is in the field is is important. But where the metaphor really falls short is in the scope and the objectives that we're, we're trying to achieve here. Uh, it's really what's at stake. You know, above all, I think the difference to, you know, our decision-making process is ethics, in war, it's kill or be killed. And in Sun Tzu's day, there was no Geneva Accord. Anything goes was, you know, as long as it contributed to victory. 
And on your campaign, obviously, you are going to have to balance what is right and what will help you to win. The book really doesn't talk about making honorable decisions or being a a good person. It's how to win. And a lot of what's lacking there, you're going to need to bring from outside. Right. So sort of the gift of knowledge and wisdom are important here and to know the difference, I think. Indeed. Well, my thanks to Caitlin Huxley for a great conversation. You can learn more about her in our show notes and get a link to Ancient Wisdom for Modern Campaigns, Lessons from Sun Tzu's Art of War. If this episode made you a little bit smarter or gave you something to think about, maybe picking up that copy of Art of War off your shelf again and reading it in new light, all we ask is that you share it with a friend or colleague. You'll look smarter in the process and more people learn about the show. So it's a a win-win. Remember to subscribe to the Business of Politics show wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also sign up for email updates on our website at businessofpoliticspodcast.com. With that, I'll say thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. The Business of Politics show is produced by Advocacy Content Kitchen, a media production studio.